listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Would you please stand for the reading of Scripture from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. These are the words of Jesus. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if I've ever been in a situation where I was more angry at an inanimate object. About 13, 14 years ago, I uh, got a call. My mom uh, had had a serious brain aneurysm and been rushed into emergency surgery. My brother and I flew down to Florida uh, as quickly as we could and didn't really know what to expect. Any of you that have been in a situation like that, you've had a loved one in the hospital, someone you care about in intensive care, there's just a lot of waiting and hoping and praying and there's not much you can do, you're sitting around, you, maybe you ought to eat something, but uh, you, know, you don't really feel like it, so you head out and you find the vending machine. You go to the vending machine and you pull out your dollar bill, and of all the times, of course, when you desperately need and want the machine to work, this is the time when it decides, I'm not accepting your offering. And so you put it in, and it spits it out. And you put it in, and it spits it out. And you pull it out, and, and you're getting more and more frustrated, and you're rubbing it back and forth across the side of the machine. And, and you're trying to turn it over. And w- is this good enough now? Will you, will you take it now? Because I just, give me the peanut butter crackers, okay? With everything else going on, can I just have the peanut butter crackers? And magic happens. The little arm starts to spiral, and the, the crackers start to move forward, and then... They tip, and they get stuck on the glass, and you find yourself pounding on the vending machine. Just give me what I want. I gave what you asked for. Isn't that enough? You feel cheated. Growing up, I think think looking back, I, I probably thought that prayer was like that, because that's kind of what God was like, right? It's a simple exchange. I, I give you what you ask for, and then you give me what I want. Here's the price for it. Here's how much it costs. Here's what you need to do, and it's like a machine. I can see what I need. It's, it's right there in front of me. Just let me have it, okay? But the stupid machine won't give it to me. Maybe my prayer wasn't good enough. Maybe I need to flatten it out, smooth it up, make it look a little better, make it acceptable somehow. Maybe, maybe I'm supposed to give more 
you know, put more money in the machine and, and then, you know, hope that another line of crackers behind will push that one out and, and then I can get what I, what I really want. Maybe you need to want it more. Maybe you need to pray more. Maybe, maybe you need to confess more. We're in this series called Foundations where we've been looking at this passage in Matthew's gospel known as the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is giving us a picture of a life that's shaped and ordered around living under God's good and gracious rule in our lives and in this world that, that would be a foundation for us of life and hope and joy and, and purpose. And now at the center of that message and at the center of the center of this message that we call the Lord's Prayer, we see Jesus addressing some of those misconceptions that I think maybe we have. He's saying, be careful that you don't think about prayer that way. Be careful that you don't think about God that way because God is so much better. And prayer is so much more meaningful. It's so much more than that. Jesus wants us to see who God for real, he, who he really is and, and what prayer actually is in, in ways that would bring freedom and peace and confidence. I, I ran across this summary of the passage that I thought was great from one commentator that, that I'm going to use today. I, I think if we take this passage and summarize it, the idea that Jesus is getting at is that the heart of prayer is experiencing friendship with God under the lordship of God out of our sonship with God. The heart of prayer is actually experiencing friendship with God under the lordship of God out of the sonship that we have with God. Last week, Pastor Joey did a great job walking us through verses 5 and 6 uh, in this passage and seeing how Jesus is condemning the hypocrites who are just kind of going through what we might call religious formalism. Say the right things and get your reward from the people noticing you. There's no relationship. There's no love. There's no private seeking of God. It's all for show. It's all outward. It's just ritual. And now in verses 7 and 8 today, you see Jesus is bringing up another problem in prayer, what we might call sort of the perspective that's spiritual but not religious. In other words, I want good things to happen in my life, and maybe there's a right technique, maybe there's a right formula, maybe if I pray enough, maybe if I pull the right levers, maybe if I, if I do the right things, I can get what I want. And it's just repeating enough things over and over again to, to get the outcome. There's no trust, there's no love, there's no relationship, there's no lordship, there's Nobody to learn from because I know what's right. And God's job is simply to align himself with my prayers and spit out the right result like a vending machine. Jesus is saying the heart of prayer, though, is experiencing friendship with God under the lordship of God out of our sonship with God. And he wants us to pray with trust and confidence because of a, a living relationship of love and worship and dependence. So let's look at that together. If you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And if you're using the black Bibles in front of you, it's on page 964 or whatever you use to access God's Word online. For those of you who are joining us, the heart of prayer is experiencing the friendship of God. Jesus starts saying, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Do you notice what's missing at the beginning of this prayer? It's all the stuff that we want to have happen, right? The first half of Jesus' model prayer, and and whether you use these exact words or take it as a a format, a a structure for us, it, it, it doesn't start with what's going on in my life and my needs and my worries and my concerns, my daily bread, my my need for dealing with sin and forgiveness and uh, nothing about what people have done to me and and how I'm struggling to forgive them and let go of it or uh, the strength that I need and the wisdom that I need for these challenges that I'm going through. What what are we doing here in, in the beginning? I'm worshiping. I'm rejoicing. I'm noticing. I'm reflecting. I'm amazed. I'm awed at who God is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. A name, of course, is a summary for the whole of that person. Anyone have a special name when you were kids for your grandparents? Mimi and Papa, Grandma and Grandpa, Nana. When you say that name, it brings up everything that that person is, right? That's what Jesus is getting at. And and when he says hallowed, that's... An old word that we don't use much. In fact, the last time it may have been used in public was Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. We talk about this hallowed ground. It it means revered, special, set apart, dedicated for a higher purpose, holy. Jesus is saying we start in prayer recognizing God is worthy of worship and he's worthy of awe. And he's great, and he's glorious, and he's good. And before we get anything, the first thing we should be asking for is God himself, for a vision of who God is. You may be familiar with this passage in the Psalms, in Psalm 27. It's one we've used in worship before, where David says, One thing I will seek after, one thing do I need, to gaze on your beauty to inquire of you in your temple. Now, if you know anything about the life of David in the Old Testament, it was not an easy time, right? He's the youngest disregarded brother of a lot of older, more seemingly competent guys. He uh, is, marries into the royal family. His dad, his father-in-law rather, is both his boss and the ruler of Israel. So he's got all the government power and he wants to kill David. So he has to run for his life. He's hiding in caves. He he runs up fleeing to live in a pagan country. He finally gets back. Then he blows it with Bathsheba, brings all kinds of chaos and wreck into his own family. And later in life, his own son launches an armed rebellion against him so that he has to flee Jerusalem. This is a guy who knew trouble. This is a guy who knew hard, hard things happening in his life. But he says there's only one thing that I really need. One thing that I really want, God, I want to see you. I need a vision for your beauty. I want to live in your presence and let that shape me and shape my life and my heart. He doesn't ask for protection. He doesn't ask for success. He doesn't ask for safety. He doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for vengeance against his enemies. I mean, yes, he asks for all those things at different times, But he says, here's the one thing. And if I have that, God, if I can have a sense of your beauty, of your sweetness, of your glory, of your goodness, 
Nothing will undo me. Nothing will destroy me. Nothing will overwhelm me. Nothing will ruin me. And Jesus is saying that's the point of prayer. That's the point of contact with God. Friendship is the first thing that we come to God acknowledging him. That, that we, we're not asking him for anything until we've recognized his love, his goodness, his friendship, his kindness. You know, I've said this sometimes, and maybe you have, maybe you've heard people say this. Well, you know, I prayed and it didn't work. I tried praying. Nothing happened. What do we mean when we say that? Well, we didn't get the outcome that we wanted, so we just stopped asking. If anybody says, or if we ever feel like, well, you know, I tried praying, but it didn't work, I think Jesus is saying, well, what were you asking for? Were you praying, God, I want more of you? God, I want to see you. God, I, I'm desperate for a vision of you. This is the thing that my heart needs and longs for, like deer panting for streams of water. I need you, God. And I'm going to pursue that, and I'm going to pray for that, and I'm going to cry out for that. If you pray that prayer, I will tell you God will not reject that prayer. God answers that prayer. And Jesus is saying that's the perspective that knowing God's friendship is what we bring into prayer. That's the heart of prayer. Before we ask for anything else, to, to get our hearts and our minds oriented to the goodness and the beauty and the love and the kindness of God. Because the heart of prayer is experiencing the friendship of God under the lordship of God. It's the second purpose of prayer, the second kind of framing. After the intimacy of our Father is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't know about you, but in my prayers, I can be really quick to rush to give me my daily bread. Because, I mean, that's real, right? Because there's, we live in a world where we're not in control, and there's all this stuff that we need, and all this stuff that is threatening and scary and worrisome and troubling for us. And, and, and I know what needs to be happening, God, so that's really what I want to talk to you about and what I want you to address. And then there's this outpouring of, of these words of our heart from God. God, you've just got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to come through. She's got to live. He's got to see this. You've got to make this happen. You can't let that happen. Don't let my kids do that. I've got to have this. The money's got to show up, God. I don't know how this is going to work out. And sometimes we pray that way, not out of really a, a sincere overflow of our hearts, out of trust and dependence on God, but maybe sometimes like the Gentiles, thinking that we will be heard for our many words. That God will, will maybe really listen to me if I just pray over and over and over and over and show him how sincere I am. And Jesus is saying that that's not prayer. That's not how we approach the Father. And, and the reality is, if you pray that way, like we all have, right, when we jump right into, God, here's what's going on, and man, I'm just freaked out about it, and you need to see what's going on, and you need to do something about it, does that ever make us feel better? Most of the time, it doesn't, because what we're doing is we're just rehearsing in our minds all the things that are wrong, all the things that are scary, all the ways that we've been hurt, all the things that God isn't doing that it seems like he needs to be doing, and and it just ends up making us more stressed out and more anxious and more resentful 
And, you know, if it's about what we've done, more guilty. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I blew it again. I can't believe I did that. Can you, I don't know how you can forgive me, Jesus. I just feel miserable. I'm terrible. And it can be babbling, Jesus is saying. Because if you listen carefully, the, the rhythm of our hearts is still, my will be done, my kingdom come. My will be done. My kingdom come. God, I know what you need to be doing, and you're not doing it. And that's what's making me stressed and anxious and worried and resentful and sleepless. Because I know what you need to be doing, and it's not working that way. They did it, and they're going to get away with it. Or or you're not showing up in the way that I need you to, God. And Jesus says more primary than asking for things is, as right as that is, is to take ourselves out of the place of God. Because that's what we're doing. We're saying, God, I know what you need to be doing, and I'm frustrated, and I'm worried, and I'm stressed because I don't think you're going to do it. And before we get to asking for the things that we want, Jesus says we need to get to the point first of saying, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. I want what you want. I want your will in my life because you're Lord and I'm not. And you know what needs to happen and I don't. And I don't understand it. And and, and maybe I don't even like it. But... God, I want your will to be done in my life just as perfectly as it happens in heaven. More than anything, I want what you want to happen in my life. Some of you know the story from the Old Testament of Genesis, uh, one of Jacob's 12 children, and how his brothers hated him and resented him because, you know, honestly, I mean, he was kind of a pain. Like, hey, let me tell you about this dream I had where you guys are all going to bow down and worship me. Like, not the smartest, Joseph. God's will, but, you know, some wisdom maybe. So they hatched this plan. We're going to get rid of this dreamer, throw him in a pit. Let's kill him. No, let's make some money off the deal. Sell him to slavers. He's taken down in Egypt and through all these trials and imprisonments and false arrests and wrong accusations, God is at work and he raises Joseph up. And now, now the turns have tabled, to quote the office. Now the tables have turned. And Joseph's in a position to get these guys back because there's a famine in Israel and they're coming down and they need food. And then their dad dies and these brothers hatch this great plan. Um, Joseph, uh, you know, before dad died, he told us something really important. He said, make sure to tell Joseph not to take vengeance on your brothers for what they did. You know, Joseph could have just laughed him out of the place because, I mean, it's so obvious, right? He's... Don't you dream about that sometimes? Man, if only I had the power. If only I could make things work out the way I want. If only I were in charge of the outcome. Then I'd show them. Then they'd know. Do you remember what Joseph says to his brothers? Am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God to decide who lives and who dies? Am I in the place of God to pass judgment on you? Am I in the place of God to know what's good and what's wrong and how to accomplish his purposes? This is the source of Joseph's peace, of his ability to forgive his brothers, his his lack of fear when he's scared. 
Because why are, why are we scared? Why are we stressed out? Why do we have trouble letting go of things? Why are we eaten up with anxiety? Because we're sure that we know how things ought to go and they're not going that way. Am I in the place of God? We're hurt. We're resentful. We struggle with forgiveness. We're anxious because... Things aren't going the right way. People haven't gotten their comeuppance, and it's maybe not even so much what those people did, but, you know, it's just God's not paying them back the right way. And Joseph says, I got myself out of the place of God, and when I did, I found freedom and life and joy and forgiveness. That's why I'm at peace. That's why I'm not scared. That's why I'm not angry, because God is Lord, and I'm not. The heart of prayer is... Friendship with God under the lordship of God. Before we get to asking anything else, we, we're being invited by Jesus to say, Lord, by your spirit, help me see that the most important thing is to know that you're God and I'm not, and I struggle to believe it. That's why I can't overcome feelings of guilt, because I feel like I've got to measure up, I've got to do better I failed you, I failed myself, and, and, and I keep beating myself up, and now I've got to be my own savior. So I can't get rid of my anger because I, I know exactly what those people deserve, and, and they're not getting it. So I can't overcome my worry and anxiety because I know how it's supposed to turn out, and it's not heading that way. And Joseph says, I, I know what that's like, and it's awful. It's a prison that God wants to bring you out of. We come to God in prayer to help us change the way that we see God and what's going on in our lives and who we are because we're willing to say, God, you are Lord. And that's what helps us experience peace like Joseph did in the middle of all the mess so that nothing would overwhelm you, nothing will destroy you, nothing can ruin you, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You're free because you're not God. That is good news. The heart of prayer is experiencing friendship with God under the lordship of God out of our sonship with God. That's the third thing. Back at the very beginning, though, Jesus says, we come to God saying, our Father. Our Father. Even if you didn't know me at all, if you overheard me saying, oh, my sweetheart, you're probably going to assume I'm either talking to my wife or one of my daughters. I'm probably not talking to one of my boys because they're young men now. And for some reason, we're okay talking to boys like that when they're little. And then we, they grow up and we decide, like, I don't want my dad calling me sweetheart. That's weird. But it's okay with, you know, a, a wife or a daughter. It's, it's a term of affection and intimacy, isn't it? I mean, if you hear me saying it, it even feels weird to say it out loud in, in a group this size because there's, there's so much wrapped up in that. To hear someone say, oh, my, my sweetheart, my love, You'd probably have to overhear me saying it because we just don't talk that way in public because there's so much intimacy and closeness there. And Jesus is saying that's how we actually talk to God. That's the kind of relationship we have with him. My God, you're my God. You're, you're my father. You're our father. 
the, the religious person who's going through just, you know, the rituals and the external shows, how can I know God like that? I mean, I, I'm doing the work to try and please him and to work hard to earn his love. And the, the irreligious person says, how could I trust God like that? I mean, I need to be in charge and I need to tell him what he's supposed to be doing. And the answer is the gospel of our sonship. The first word in the prayer is not our king, not our Lord. He's all of that, but he's our father. The, the gospel, the good news is you don't become a child of God. You don't become a Christian by trying harder, by having the right technique or the right words or by doing enough things. You, you become a child of God when you say, I'm a broken mess, God, and, and I don't deserve you, but I trust that you accept me and you love me because of what Jesus has done. And all I can say is thank you. Thank you. And the Bible says then we become sons. And, and this is not about male or female. It's, it's not saying that you know, being a man is better or closer to God than, than being a woman. It's just that in the New Testament era, sonship was a legal status. When you were adopted into someone's family, that person not only became intimately close to you, you became their heir. You inherited everything that they had, but only sons could inherit. And yet all the New Testament writers say that it doesn't matter who you are, male, female, young, old, rich, poor, wherever you've come from, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and becomes a son of God. Just like Jesus is the son of God, we are all now sons of God with him, to whom the Father says, this is my son whom I love. And when you know that, when you know that, that you were loved and that you have the full rights of sonship, that means we pray with confidence and joy. Look at how Jesus expresses that in the prayer. In verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Okay, now, now Jesus is saying, now that we have oriented ourselves in the right way, we've reminded ourselves of who God is and who we are before him. Yes, pray for the things we need for this day or for the day to come. Because bread is a symbol of everything that's necessary for life. Food and clothing and shelter and love and relationships and significance and home and peace and all of it. And back up in verse 8, do, do you see the point then of what Jesus is saying? When he says your father knows what you need before you ask him, that's not to say don't bother saying anything. It's an encouragement. It's a reminder that says you don't have to have some big checklist. You don't, you don't have to go through every single thing. You don't have to check all the boxes and make sure you mentioned everything because your father knows. He knows and he's a good father. We, we don't pray because God needs to know what's going on. We're not informing him of anything. We pray because we need to be reminded. We need to say it and, and we need to be acknowledging that he's a good father as we come to him because that honors him. You know, as a, as a father, I, I have four kids. Do I need them to come ask me for things? If I need them to do that, there's probably something wrong with me. There, there's something unhealthy in me, but I love it when they ask. Because when they ask, what does that mean? It means they're saying, I know you love me. I know you trust me. I know you want what's good for me. I know you're wise. I know you're kind. I know you're looking out for my best interests. And I'm coming to you 
asking for help, asking for wisdom, asking for guidance, asking for protection, asking for support because you're good and you're my father. And there's nothing I wouldn't give them in love. Your God knows because he's a good father. When we come to him with a need, we, we often tend to think we know what the best thing is, but a lot of the times we don't. So we present our need and we leave it with him and trust him for the outcome. And sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait, and in the moment you don't know whether no is no or wait, and so we develop trust and we develop patience as we're waiting to see how he's going to answer. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And Jesus kind of expands this in verses 14 and 15, because if you forgive others their trespasses, your Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you. Now listen, I I hope this is clear, but please understand, this is so important, what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying, you forgive in order to get forgiven. No, he's saying you forgive because you have already been forgiven. Forgiven people forgive. And if we're not forgiving, Jesus raises the question, do I really know the forgiveness of God? I mean, he tells that parable, right, of the two guys who owe the moneylender two vastly different amounts of money, and he asks this Pharisee, which one do you think will love the moneylender more? Well, the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said, yeah, that's exactly right, because those who have been forgiven much love much. That's what Jesus is getting at here. When when we see, when we know how much we've been forgiven, how are we going to hold back forgiveness from someone else for for what they've done to us? You know, Peter, uh, I love Peter, he's great. He's like all of us, right? He's like the stand-in for all of us. Well, how many times do I have to forgive? Peter, that's the wrong question. Are you willing to forgive the the way that I've forgiven you, the way that you've been forgiven? Because you can't come to God convinced that, you know, I'm in pretty good shape and I've got it all figured out and those other people are the ones that God needs to forgive. We've totally misunderstood it. Ask God to forgive those people who have wronged you in the same way that he has forgiven you because that's what actually frees our hearts. And that's what Jesus wants. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or better, the evil one. A great reminder for all of us. I need God to guide my thoughts, my reflections, my my words, my actions, my intentions, my plans. Because we're recognizing that we are all liable to head off in stupid directions. And God is the one that guards us and guides us in good ways. We recognize that I'm liable to suffer from my own moral weakness or or the wrongs of other people around me. And I need God's protection and I need his strength for the spiritual battles that I'm facing. The heart of prayer is experiencing the friendship of God under the lordship of God because of our sonship with God. I, I told you about this story of my mom being in the hospital a number of years ago, and, and it didn't really close the story. Yes, I finally got the peanut butter crackers out of the machine. 
Okay, the, the real answer is yes, mom survived. It was a long recovery, lots of ups and downs. She lived for another eight or nine years, and there were a lot more prayers that came with that. And eventually, like all of us will, she went home. She died. Her life ended, but that didn't mean God didn't answer those prayers. God answered those prayers in his own time and in his own way. Because he is worthy of praise. He's good. And knowing that brings peace and rest because we're praying, trusting that he's at work. That he is strong. He's stronger than anything. Greater than anything we're going through. And and he doesn't have to be prodded. He doesn't have to be cajoled. He doesn't have to be manipulated. He can't be bought off by whatever we're doing. That's, That's good news. And and we remind ourselves that God is good, that he knows what we need even before we ask, and he gives good gifts to his children. We pray knowing that he is Lord and that I'm not, and oh, how that takes the pressure off. Oh, how that sets our hearts at rest. We humble ourselves under him gratefully, thankfully, that he's God and we're not. Life is unfair, And this world is broken, and Jesus is good. And there are things that we are not going to make sense of this side of heaven, but what we can know is this. You have a Father in heaven who loves you, and he knows what is good, and he wants your relationship, your communication with him to come from a heart of seeing his friendship, his goodness under his lordship out of your sonship. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with confidence and gratitude as children whom you love. Thank you that it's not because of going through the right formulas. It's not because of our performance. It's not because of getting the right words, having the right technique, having to ramp up our emotions enough, but it's because of what Jesus has done. Oh, thank you for this reminder from your son that through faith in him, we can all be sons of God and know you in a way that brings life and joy and confidence in everything that we're going through. Father, if there are people here today who do not know you in that way, I pray, I pray, Lord, that you will draw them and invite them and hear them Have them respond to your call to come and know you and simply say, I want to know God in that way. I want that kind of a relationship. I I, I trust in what Jesus has done and that that's enough and that that makes me a child of God. Thank you that that's true for all who have trusted in Jesus. And may it give us confidence and hope as we walk with you. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen.